This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. On today's show, we're looking back at the check round of the World SBK season. Steve English, Gordon Ritchie and Charlie Hiss got on the pod today and we've got a lot to get through, boys, actually, because... Like once again, World Superbikes just delivered in spades at the weekend. We had probably some of the best racing we've seen in the season so far. And I think that's saying a lot considering how good the racing's been. We've had talking points in the super sport class. We got news about the rider market. We've got lots to get through. But uh, Gordo, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you first because uh, it's been a bit of a trek for you to get back home from uh, Checo through a couple of different airports. But uh, you're back in Scotland now and. At least now you've got the summer break to look forward to as well. Yes, I do have something of a summer break. Um, although I've got a few things to do covering Suzuka, um, not going, but covering it. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to a few weekends where I can just get stuff done at home and kind of reset a bit. And a lot of feature stories to get done over the summer, which is nice because then you can do them any time of day. But the travel's the the travel's not getting any easier. And that's the biggest thing for everybody. And yesterday I got absolutely soaked in the bike on the way home from Edinburgh Airport. An hour and a half in rush hour through Edinburgh, well, the edge of Edinburgh, Glasgow. Just misery. I mean, you know, just misery. And uh, I love my motorbikes. I'm glad I take my bike to the airport. But, you know, that's a nice sunny day would do me. Well, Gordo, misery loves company, and you've got Charlie Hiscott on the pod, so there's no oh, one more man. miserable than Charlie. Oh, that's so yeah. harsh. Oh, dear. It, well, oh, oh, I take what, Charlie. I, I take it all back. I take it all back, man. But uh, while Gordo's got the summer break to look forward to, you've got to go to Silverstone from, for MotoGP this weekend. Oh, yeah. The summer break is going to be taken up with a few extra GPs for you as well, so yeah. it's uh, not really much of a break for you at the minute. No, but it's um, I'm quite looking forward to MotoGP at Silverstone. Um, that's always a really good event for us. We do um, a lot of sort of different stuff that we don't normally do. Um, we have all our bosses there, so we all have to work really hard. Um, <laughs> but it's a really good event. It's good fun. Looking forward to it. It'll be good. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to come to you straight away at the start of the show, Charlie, because we're going to kick off talking about Most in general and the weekend that we had. This was, for me, probably the best race we've seen all the way through the season. And a lot of that came from the uncertainty coming into the weekend. And I'm coming to you first because I know on Thursday when you arrived at the track, one of your big talking points with most of your interviews was about the decision to not have the soft tyre available for the weekend. So the X tyre that everyone has always basically been using as a race tyre wasn't available for the feature length races. And on Thursday, in all your interviews... All the talk was, this is pushing everything towards Jonathan Ray. And then we get into the race weekend. Johnny doesn't win a race. Bautista surprises us all in the first race to win it. And then Top Rack does a double on Sunday. Yeah, you just never can tell, can you? From the reaction, like you said, on Thursday, you know, it was clear that Bautista was on the back foot and Jonathan had a, you know, had an advantage. But actually, what people sort of didn't um, account for was the fact that Pirelli had bought a really couple of new um, solutions that were that actually worked really well and actually looking at the after the race two um, it looks like they did the right thing really because you know there was a bit of talk of delamination and a couple of tyres not necessarily finishing the race so I spoke to Giorgio after the event and he was saying you know it's so abrasive the track there now um, it's he, he was sort of saying it's second only to Phillip Island what was quite interesting was that you know, they're going, it looks like they're going nearly a second a lap quicker. And he was saying the difference that makes to the tyre is, you know, through a lot of those flip-flops last year where the bikes were slightly rolled, 
now they're now they're flat out and digging in. And he said that the difference is that one that little improvement in lap time makes a massive effect on the tire, which I thought was quite interesting. And Gordo, obviously enough, Most we've come back to it after a year. Everyone had their data coming into this weekend, and then they had the new surface, so it was always going to be faster. But I think it surprised everyone how different the track was this year compared to last year because there were places last year where we saw some overtaking moves. Turn 10, the, the slow hairpin after the flip-flop section. You didn't see anything through there this weekend. But then we saw where the moves were made a little bit later. And it was interesting that all the different bikes had different strengths. And in one of the races, we had all five manufacturers inside the top five positions at the end, which was, which was a, a great indication that everyone was able to make something of this track. But we saw, for instance, that Toprak's worst corner was probably Kawasaki's best corner. We saw the usual strength of D Ducati on the straight. We saw Toprak just figuring a way to get things done. Yeah, I, I think it was... Um, I spoke to Toprak about the new tarmac in the beginning of the weekend, and he said that's maybe worth about 0.2 of a lap time because it's only really in one area. Uh, he said the rest of it was just everybody going faster like they've been pretty much doing all year. Um, so that was the main thing. But yes, it was very noticeable how differently the bikes are across one lap. Moss gave a perfect example of where each bike was strong and where it wasn't. I mean, you saw the BMW in the mix as well. You can see that with four different bikes instead of the usual three. Um, I think it's there was a lot of hairy uh, overtakes, which are great for us. Um, there's more runoff in some places, but it's still not what you would imagine to be a completely modern racetrack. Um, but the riders were definitely more confident this year. And the fact that we didn't really get the reins that may have thrown a complete spanner in the works for everybody. Um, one little drop of rain that made one difference in the race. But ultimately, I think people just went for it a bit more this year. And in the fast corners, well, there's a lot of them. So... Um, and, and usually when you pass in a fast corner, you can make it stick. Charlie, what, what about you? Just Gordo's mentioned a few things there, but I want to just pick up on one of them and the overtaking that we saw. What was your favourite top rack moment of the weekend? Was it his move on Scott Redding or was it the leg dangle and Johnny then having to run through the grass and the gravel trap? Because this was one of the big things talking to everyone on Sunday night up in the in the hotel waiting for, for dinner and a few drinks and all that everyone was talking about these two big moments well <clears throat> that was all really really cool and it'd be hard you know you'd be hard pressed to pick a winner out of that lot but for me the, the highlight for me for Top Rack's weekend was actually breaking him at the end of race two in the last four or five laps and getting away and looking solid on it and I thought this is good for the championship now if Top Rack's doing that and he's riding at that level then the championship is back on even though uh, I mean the, definitely all the um well, the other manufacturers are very concerned about Catalonia, but you know when we go to Magnicor, Portimao, places like that, I, I think the championship is properly back on. Even though you know, I mean, about is, I actually did get to go and stand. I was lucky to go and stand at the end of the straight there, right on the in, on the inside of the armco there, which I have to say was an incredible place to, to stand. But um, you, you do see that actually Bautista's bike is so fast, and it's you know. Compared to Top Rack and Jonathan, who are every time I saw them break into that first chicane, which, which looked like a really horrible chicane, I've got to say, um, they're all over the place. There is so much going on. Whereas Bautista comes down there in a straight line, everything's all, you know, it, it looks so smooth for him. So and I, I don't know whether that's because he's got so much power on the straight that actually doesn't have to break aside. He doesn't have to put as much into his braking as everybody else. But um, it was a really great place to watch. I'll just say that. Do you do you think that we may actually see a change in the regs now? 
because everybody's it's so noticeable. We saw in Estoril was another example. Do you think that we've got six races now, so we do three and three for the calculations and stuff? Do you think maybe the people that on top are thinking, you know, this this they, they play around with people's revs before, and if the idea is a level competition, that's one area of absolute advantage that the Ducati has. Um, do you think it's possible? Um, I, I think it's very unlikely, actually. I did speak to Scott Smart about it over the weekend. And the thing is with the algorithm, it's about the manufacturer. It's not just about the rider. So with Michael Rubin Ronaldo, I think if Rinaldi was also right there and getting podium after podium, then absolutely, definitely. But I think the one thing that we have noticed is um, weighing the riders after Donington for the first time, which would definitely look to me like they're looking at maybe a, maybe a minimum weight limit or something like that, maybe for next year. I mean, it was odd. They've never been weighed before and they were all put on the scales. Obviously, um, I did a little thing about how much heavier Peter Hickman is than Andrea Locatelli, but they're definitely looking at some way. I mean, I, I think it would be really harsh to suddenly go and I'd love them to pull a few revs off um, Alvaro's bike. I really would. But I think it would be quite harsh to do that because then you are penalising Ducati for, you know, playing on their strengths, which is a really fast bike. Just out of curiosity, Charlie, were those accurate scales that you were using? Oh, for man, that I've had so much flack for the accurate scales and how accurate they were. Believe you me, it has been non-stop. But they were pretty accurate, yeah. <laughs> they were they were accurate, that's okay. No, not as accurate as my spinal cord, though, which was creaking when I tried to pick that thing up. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I just say that for 11 years I used to be an instrument mechanic? So if you want somebody to check that the scales are accurate, I'm your boy. Competitive your rates, competitive rates. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, Gordo, for for me with the with the revs, I think it's interesting that they say you know they're not going to make the decision based on one rider because the decision on Kawasaki must have been based on one rider over the years because when Kawasaki lost their initial revs, there was a big difference between Johnny even to Tom and then Haslam and and Lowe's now in the last few years. And then to the third Kawasaki, like obviously we had one year where you had top rack on a Kawasaki as well. So there was one year where you did have a lot of Kawasaki's at the front, but we haven't really had that too often. And I think when you look at it now, I find it very difficult to be able to to look at Kawasaki and not think that they're at a disadvantage or not that they're at a disadvantage, but that they're not absolutely maximized. Um, yeah, I think that the, we've seen it before. Um, where you have one rider who's doing everything else. You could make a case that there's more Ducatis being more successful now, even though they're taking it in turns. However, I'm not advocating it. I, I'm not saying this needs to be done. I'm saying it, it's a possibility given what's happened because of things like that in the past. But I do like the fact that we've got such a different set of advantages and disadvantages between the riders and the manufacturers. You've not just got three different manufacturers up there. You've got three completely different riding styles, completely different ways of going about it. So that is more to do with things than anything else, maybe. Uh, the way things that turn out race by race and, and and even as we saw across lap by lap. I think I'd be hard-pressed to argue with that as well, Gordo, because I would just want to see good racing. If Toprak and Johnny have to ride like this to beat Bautista... I'm all for it because it's good entertainment. Don't get me wrong. If I was sitting on the Yamaha or the Kawasaki in the middle of a race and I look at the Ducati pulling away down the straight, even when you're in the slipstream, you're going to be thinking, come on, you have to do something about it. But from our perspective as neutrals, journalists, commentators, uh, analyzing the what we see, we've got the best racing I've ever seen. It's, it's hard for me to look for much more than that. Yeah, I agree with you there, Stephen. Also, 
you know, it, it's, it's all well and good talking about pulling the Ducati back and taking some revs off them. But remember, Top Rack's won six of the last eight races. So, yeah. you know, it's not it's not a million miles out, whatever. Yeah. I wonder whether the way... Do you remember when they used to um, give... what They went through a phase of giving out weight. I remember Troy Bayliss being given something like four kilos to stick on his bike for, for yeah. getting too far ahead in the championship. I wonder whether that would be a better way to go if, if you do get a... Um, you know, if they can make up some something where if you, you know, attain a certain amount of success, you get a little bit of weight given to you. Well, that's obviously something that we see a lot in touring car racing and other series as well. And that's where I remember talking to Per Reba about this years ago. Reba always talked about winning the weekend and making sure that it wasn't about making sure that you won two races or, or, or whatever it was. If you won two races and retired from another and you gave up 10 points to your rival, you'd had a bad weekend. And when you look at the season we've had so far, the first four rounds of the year, Top Rack was outscored by Ray and Bautista. And then the last two, he's been the top scorer and he's pulled back a big chunk of points, obviously with five wins from the last two rounds. I think that the other thing that we need to look at here is forget the technical. A lot of the reasons why we have had two riders in particular who've made big improvements in the last couple of rounds is is those riders. They're using the package. Uh, you know, Top Rack's using the package he had. They're just putting it back to where he was happiest and then he's brought... 100% top rack. We saw a top rack at probably 90% in the first few races because he just wasn't happy the way the bike was. And he's got such a weird style. Um, he needs the bike to be a certain way and they took it back to him with improvements all round from last year. And then you look at BMW and Reading and yes, they've got new material and so on, but they've all got new material. But the person who's made the biggest jump with that is Reading because he said, okay, leave it. Okay, we've got this new stuff. I'm happy. Let me get my head around it. So he's done that in the last two rounds and look at the results he's got. So, so much of this is the human side. You know, Top Rack has become Top Rack again from the shadow that he was in the first few races. Um, and a lot of that's just down to him. Just really before, quickly before we take our first ad break of the show, Gordo, just to talk about Reading. There was one stage in the middle of race one where I thought Reading was going to win the race. When it started yeah. to spit rain and he just went absolutely for it. I thought for sure, you know what, he's actually going to win this one. And instead, he had to settle for, for how, it, how it all played out. But for for Reading, at least, that podium and the weekend in Moss validated everything that we saw in Donington. And that's really important for the team. Now, coming into the weekend, Reading said the team needed to be more confident. We've changed everything on the bike. It should be better this weekend. And it was. So that gives them a lot of confidence for the second half of the year when Vandemar comes back. Absolutely. And I'm glad you introduced Michael, because to me, that's the next stage when you've got those two guys pushing each other, then that we're really going to see where the BMW ends up. Um, but it's already podium capable. I think uh, ultimately it was a tyre. We talked about tyres at the beginning. But I think actually when you saw the pace that Batista could put in at the end of that race is what took him away from Reading. You know, it, you know, and that was on the tyre he's supposed to not like. You know, so maybe that zero tyre helped him in the last few races when uh, the X tyre, if he'd used the X tyre, maybe he would have had nothing to fight with and, Re and Reading would then have uh, been able to catch him. So, yeah, it, it's all these little dynamics when you're at that level that, that make a difference. Um, but the BMW thing's great. I mean, I, I just, I, I've always thought it was going to be good. Um, eventually, with those level of riders and the amount of money and effort they're putting in, when you when you let the rider ride it the way they want, I've got to say I love the end of that first race with Scott getting on the podium for a couple of reasons. A because 
I thought it was fascinating to watch that Scott, obviously, he was absolutely fuming at what happened with Top Crack, yeah? But then you could sort of see his emotions change on the Slowdown app because obviously he was very angry about Top Rack, but then he was over the moon about beating Jonathan Ray in a really tough few corners. Do you know what I mean? He literally had to ride as best as he's ever ridden. Jonathan was, you know, absolutely on form. So I think the emotions that I wasn't sure what was going to happen when he came into Park Fermi. I thought he might be fuming with Top Rack, but actually I think it just goes to show that actually. He obviously got over the, the annoyance of Top Rack when he suddenly realised, oh my God, I just flipped and gave, gave Jonathan a bit of a kicking on, you know, on the last few corners. And like it was a wave of emotions. And when he actually got back into Park Fermi, he was really happy and was, you know, was chuffed that he'd got on the podium and saw it for what it was. And the, I thought that the very end of that race, when you had the BMW and the Kawasaki riding literally side by side round corners, you don't get that a lot anymore, you know? And maybe we never did. But when you see two people going round three or four corners, basically side by side, you just think, Something's going to happen. And eventually, I think that race went to the guy that just needed it more with less to lose. I think Jonathan could just see straw bales again and thought, you know what, maybe I won't. And Scott said, no, no, I don't care if I'm straw bales. I'm going to have it. And when that happened, you got the result that we saw. Do you know what? I, I want to keep talking about this, but we're going to take a quick ad break because there's a big discussion point to be had all around the topic of racecraft and world SBK at the minute. So we're going to take a quick break in the Paddock Pass podcast and when we come back, we'll take it up from there. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. Gordo, you were mentioning it just before the break there about the racecraft that we're seeing in World SBK at the minute. We... <laughs> We're almost seeing it where racecraft is a thing of the past with some of these riders because it's just reactionary to what's happening around you. And, and Charlie, I know you've talked to Jonathan Ray and Toprak about it over the course of this season about how they need to stop focusing on each other and remember that there's another rider in the title fight. But what we saw in Most was a real example of I'm just going to beat you, whoever's around me, and try and score as many points as possible. And that last lap, I loved the fact that Scott got overtaken by a crazy, daring move from Top Rack. Turn, turn 13 is one of the hairiest corners on the calendar that we go to in World SBK, and Top Rack just said, I'm having it. And Scott could have got flustered by that because then suddenly you've got probably the only other rider that's as ruthless as Top Rack diving down the inside and instead of what probably would have happened a year ago of Scott almost just throwing in the towel and accepting that this was over the limit, he decided he was going to dig in as much as possible. And we saw a real fight from top, from from Scott as well. I loved that little battle. And, it, and when that three, four corners of, of a season, we've encapsulated everything that's great about World Superbikes right now. Yeah, I, the one thing I would really like to know is that, and, and neither Top Record Jonathan or like me saying this, but if Jonathan looks like he's running out of tire or running out of something in the last sort of four to five laps, you 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 kind of have to ask yourself if that he's using his tire too much by fighting with top rack and whether that whether I mean there's there is so much um, on track needle between the two of them that they can't actually 
I don't think that they can think about the race. They can only see about what's in front of them and nothing else. It's it's um, it's red mist sort of stuff, which is amazing to watch. But there's going to come a point, like, there has to come a point where these guys are going to, I think they're going to have to think about what they're doing. Otherwise, Bautista is going to keep being strong at the end of the race and, and we're going to get the results that we've had the last couple of rounds. Yeah, I think obviously in race one, Johnny's problem wasn't tyre, it was brakes. He was having that same issue. He didn't ha- have those problems in either race on Sunday. Um, so they obviously found the, the issue and fixed it. Um, so we can't really talk about the tyre for race one, but we can for the others. And I do agree, the fight, using up the energy you've got, using up the, the as you say, the tyre and everything else you've got fighting in the beginning. But everybody had something interesting to say about that. Top right just said, I like fighting, it's fine. Jonathan said, well, you know, obviously he thought he had the pace to go. But Batista said uh, about the whole thing, um, about that overtake, for example, at that turn 13. He said, well, overtaking there is not banned. When he was asked about, is it is it appropriate to overtake someone like that rather than somewhere a bit more, you know, less sketchy? And he said, well, it's not banned, you know. Um, and then we got people talking about, well, you know, Scott was saying, where's the limit? You know, someone needs to draw the limit for what they what they do and where they go. But both riders denied that their early fights let everybody else get to them. Mm. I think everybody else in the world is scratching themselves and going, mm, "Really?" You know, that it looked like that would be a one of them should take the lead, the fastest one, and the other one follow, because they know that Batista's going to, as he does, play the long game, wait, come through. If you get him to do that later, maybe you've got more chance to stay with him right to the end rather than have him tracked her away, which he obviously did in race one. So, yeah, I get your point, Charlie, and I think most people would agree with the basic thing of why you're fighting at the beginning. It doesn't make any sense. You're, it, and it wears the riders out. Jonathan also said he was, um, you know, physically he was having to give an awful lot of himself just to be stuck with the other two guys. Um, and you can't keep doing that. You know, that's what happened last year, and he ended up, losing points because of it. He was just having to ride so hard as well as so well that you can't do it forever, even if you're as good as Johnny. Yeah, Johnny won what was it, five of the first nine races this season. He's now nine races without a win heading into the summer break. And it's very reminiscent to last year where Kawasaki got off to a strong start and then lost a bit of momentum as Top Rack last year got stronger and stronger. And that's where the summer break becomes really critical for them. There's a test in Catalonia. They need to make sure that when we come back at Magni Corps, that they're ready to go for those, especially those three European rounds, Magni Corps, Catalonia, and then on to Portimao. I think ultimately, the Kawasaki's the oldest bike. It's the most developed and the most, the people have got the most knowledge about it. But, things have moved on. So maybe the Kawasaki has to just, what they're doing at the minute is changing it to get the most out of it weekend by weekend. But what is the most out of it if someone else gets their bike set up properly because it's more modern and the Ducati is more powerful, then they are really struggling to to win. Um, And remember, I think part of the reason that Johnny's stopped winning is because Top Rack started again, properly found himself. And he's beaten Bautista as well as Johnny. So, you know, if Bautista, if um, Tobrak hadn't found that personal form a couple of races ago, then maybe that win total would be different. Well, my question to you both now would be, who do you think is going to be in second place in the championship post Magni Well, Tobrak. 
Yeah, well, if you look at the form from last year, you take away the green paint incident. Um, obviously, Toprak was just brilliant at Magda Kaur last year. It should have been his first triple, if I remember. I'm quite old. I can't remember things yep. as well as I did. But, well, it, well I remember that. Amazing. Um, but, you know, he was the guy <laughs> last year. So, yeah. Jonathan talked about, again, in his, uh, when he talked to all the media on Sunday, he, he said, there's one race meeting him a little bit, you know, he's not so keen on having it, and I can only imagine it's going to be there, you know, unless he was talking about Batista in the Strait of Catalonia. Maybe he was talking about that one, but to me, if I was in green or red or anything else, I'd be looking at Magni Coeur and going, hmm, you know, <laughs> looks ominous if it's big top rack likes it there, eh? He loves it there. So Yeah, I think that in, in Magni Coeur, their best chance is probably a little bit of wet weather, and a, a strange weather weekend, which can happen in Magni. Obviously, we're a little bit earlier in the calendar than we have been at different times when we've been at the end of September to go to Magni. But uh, Top Rack last year was phenomenal there. And he's only seven points behind Johnny. And yeah, I think on the basis of what we've seen over the last few rounds, because even in Mizano, Top Rack was obviously the lowest scorer of the three at Mizano. He had his retirement from race one, which would have been at least a podium there, probably second. So those 20 points are 16 points. They've been a, a big loss for Top Rack because that's the extra non-score he has compared to the other riders. And I think that for him, the form that he's on, I think he wishes Magni Corps was tomorrow. He does wish it. He said that on Sunday. He was like, I want a weekend off and then go again. I don't want five weekends So because he's built up his momentum. He doesn't want five weekends or nothing, so I think he'll be particularly keen to go to that test in Catalonia. Well, I think um, one rider that won't have five weekends off in a row is Alex Lowe's, and we've got him for a Renthal Street Sessions interview that we did a couple of weeks ago, just looking back at the first half of his season and then looking forward to this weekend's Suzuka Eight Hours. So let's hear from Alex on this Renthal Street Sessions interview. Alex Lowe's, thanks for joining us on the Renthal Street Sessions interview. And just before we kick off, obviously a lot of the training for riders is motocross, flat track, What's what's your training? Yeah, especially in the winter. I'm riding a lot of flat track, some supermoto, um, a little bit of motocross, not too much motocross, but more uh, yeah, flat track, dirt track, and uh, some supermoto. So yeah, I've got a few different uh, Kawasaki prepared bikes, and I keep all the most of my off-road training bikes with the with the team in Barcelona. Obviously, in the winter, the weather's normally a bit better there, so they help me prepare the bikes, and uh, yeah, we do a lot of riding in uh, in. More in the winter, but also sometimes during the season when we have a big break. What's the most important thing for you on those bikes, on your off-road bikes? Uh, just sort of throttle control, time on a bike. It's good if you're riding with a few people as well. And uh, in the winter when you've not been riding much, just to get you sharp and feeling like you're ready to go by the time you get on your race bike. Obviously, you've got a few rental parts on your bike as well. What's the, the one thing whenever you're setting a bike up for off-road that you're immediately looking to upgrade? Yeah, the rental bars are a must-have. Any 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 bike that I, the off-road bike, let's say that I ride, I like to get the rental bars on. But obviously, chain sprockets and the grips and stuff, we all uh, happily uh, happily supported by rental. So that's uh, that that's nice to know. I've got a good kit under me when I go riding. Well, let's talk about your kit and World Superbikes as well. Obviously, this season's been a different year to last year. Last year, a lot of injuries really from the get-go. It was it was a case of being on the back foot. This year, a lot fitter and uh, riding well as well. Yeah, riding well. I think I feel like I'm riding well. The results are not quite a reflection on how the year's been going. I think it's a bit closer now. I got a bit of luck at Aston with two DNFs. That wasn't my fault. And I think in general, apart from that, it's been a consistent year. And we just need to make one step to challenge the guys at the front. 
obviously last year with all the injuries, that's obviously a very tough season. Was that about as tough as it's gotten for you in your career? Yeah, some parts last year I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't have the body to be able to ride properly and you know as soon as you line up nobody really cares about the the injuries you've got you're sort of saying that you're fit and ready to go and I, I was fit enough but I couldn't perform at my maximum and that was really frustrating I think it's 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 the frustration that makes you not enjoy it so um yeah that was a shame last year I still had some good rides and podiums and um but this year I think the the competition's better it's stronger and it, it's certainly harder but from my side I feel like I'm prepared and I'm doing better just when you look at World Superbikes now as well, obviously the attention immediately goes to the top three. But when you look at the top 14, 15 riders, it's really close all the way down the field. Like This is probably about as competitive as it's ever been in the championship. Yeah, it's as competitive as it's ever been since I've joined the championship, that's for sure. It was used to be able to have a little bit of an off day and be easy to finish fifth or sixth. But you can't now. If you have an off day, you're finishing 10th, 11th, 12th. So as a rider, that's good. It's It's close. There's... There's guys that won races that are finishing outside the top 10 and there's there's different bikes that are good at different tracks. There's a lot more competitive bikes, a lot of fast bikes in terms of the top speed with the Honda and the Ducati now. So that makes it harder to race against some of them guys, even on the privateer bikes. So it's uh, yeah, it's a different ball game now in World Superbike, but it's great. I'm really enjoying it. Just when you mentioned that, obviously the Honda Ducati, everyone can see how fast they are in a straight line. What's the strengths of the Kawasaki? Yeah, the strength of the Kawasaki is stable. It's very stable on the braking and uh, you can sort of really push the bike to the limit in that area gives you a lot of confidence also on the exit it, don't, it doesn't move too much but it's a bike that you can ride with you can be quite aggressive and you can ride strong um obviously it's been the same for a while now and, and other bikes have you know, kept, kept progressing but we know that we've got a very good base ba base package on our bike and we can get to a good lap time real fast which is a strong point for us obviously enough when you look at the championship since you joined kawasaki we had philip island wide open racetrack and big crowds and then we went straight into the pandemic we're doing this Donington Park Thursday of Donington and the last round was Mizano big crowd there it was almost like the first time you were back to having a, a crowd in front of to be racing in front of like what difference does that make for you as well oh it's great because if you have a good or a bad race it's mega to be able to enjoy it with the fans see the fans do some interaction obviously we only get to race in England once every year and we haven't been able to do that in front of fans for a couple of years or, or, or sort of, let's say, full full capacity crowds. So it's uh, it's great. Obviously, coming up through BSB, that's one of the, you know, you're always close to the fans. So it's, yeah, it's a lot more buzz and it's definitely more enjoyable for the riders. So yeah, it's very welcome return to some normality from that side. Well, last time we had you on the podcast, it was summer of last year. You just found out you are going to be a dad. Like, what difference has that made for you as well? Less sleep, definitely less sleep at home. But no, it's good perspective for me. The the, you know, the girls are going really well, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's put a good balance between my private life and my race life, and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it. We're we're only seven months in, but yeah, so far I'm enjoying it. Obviously, as I said, we're doing this Thursday before Donington. There's a few weeks before the Suzuka eight hours, but you've been out in Japan testing. How's that gone? Yeah, sorry, it's um, it's going well. I think that the this year is a little bit different because it's majority of the it's basically the KRT World Superbike crew that are going to be running the team out there in uh, in Japan with some Japanese support. Whereas in the past, it's been the Japanese guys running the team, and and a few of the engineers have gone over to give some experience from World Superbike. So it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be great for the mechanics. The last test, we're doing lots of pit stop practice. Obviously, in World Superbike, we do do pit stops. But there's a minimum time, so it's not all about how fast you can go. It's just about making sure it's done well um, when we do have them flag-to-flag -flag races. Whereas in in the eight hour, it's a different different ball game. It's all about 
minimising the time lost in the pits, being fast out the pits, fast in the pits. There's lots of things that are different. Working with Johnny, obviously, rather than against Johnny, has been been nice as well. So there's so many different factors to that race that I really enjoy it. But it's uh, it's always been good for me. I go well there. And testing's gone well so far for, for the 2022 Suzuka. What's the big changes that you have for the bike for that race? Yeah, the chassis is completely different with the tyres. So um, a lot of what we're learning World Superbike doesn't work with the Bridgestone tyres. So you need to work hard to uh, to get the chassis set up. From the electronic side, you can't run the electronic strategies that we're doing World Superbike, for example, because of the, the fuel consumption. So, um, you know, you're always trying to do more laps. You don't want to be doing less laps on the fuel. So... You need to have the bike running a bit leaner, which means you have to adjust the electronics package as well. So the chassis and the electronics are quite different. Obviously, the ergonomics of the bike, the riding position is the same as what we're using World Superbike. So it's uh, yeah, it's a completely different race, but it's still, uh, yeah, for me anyway, it's a lot, a lot of fun. Setup day here at Donington, so a bit of noise in the background. But obviously enough, you've also got Leon Haslam as a teammate for that, and you've been mates with Lenny for for well most of your life yeah. really but uh, what's it like to have him as a teammate as well yeah good we was at a test not long back in Suzuka and I said to him this is not bad really we're here riding the official Kawasaki at Suzuka getting to ride around together it was a it was a nice uh, yeah nice nice moment for us we're good mates and he's done really well at Suzuka in the past obviously him and Jonathan are the, the reigning champions so really strong team but obviously you know there's Honda it's the first proper year there with a the new bike because the last two years we've had uh, we, we haven't ran in Suzuka so they're going to be really strong. And there's always strong opposition from Yamaha, from the Suzuki team, from um, the other, let's say, World Endurance Honda team. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough, tough race. But uh, we have as good a chance as anyone. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there. You're obviously one of the riders that does keep an eye on the endurance paddock as well. Florian Marino, who works here as your rider coach, he's racing in that championship. When you look at that series, what is it that stands out to you? <laughs> Them 24-hour races. That... I do want to do one in my life, but every time I, I think about it, I know eight hours is tough when you, especially if you've got two riders and you're doing back-to-back stints. The thought of 24 hours at two in the morning, especially if it's dodgy weather, maybe cold or raining, I've got a lot of respect for them guys and, and the way that you, know, you can push yourself and the bike to keep going consistently for, yeah, it sort of scares me a bit to be honest thinking about it, but it's, uh, it, it, I do enjoy the world endurance. I enjoy the team aspect of it. You feel, you really feel to be part of a team. And uh, yeah, I follow I follow the you know, all the races. So Florian's obviously on a Kawasaki now, so it's uh, be interesting to see how he gets on at Suzuka. Yeah, obviously after twenty four hours, it's tough for commentators as well. Else, so, you know, you to, it's it's a grind for everyone in those races. Yeah, I've never. You, you, I mean, you've not mentioned it much to be <laughs> honest, but um, I can I can imagine it is. You know, I think for the mechanics and the people in the pit lane, it's almost harder than the riders because you've got the adrenaline to wake you up and keep you focused. Whereas for the mechanics and them boys, they've got a lot of respect for for the job they do. All right, thanks for joining us, Al. No problem, mate. Renthal Street, Chain, and Sprockets are perfectly matched for maximum power transfer and efficiency. From racetrack to daily rider, with over 800 fitments, Renthal Street has a final drive solution for almost any bike. Use Renthal.com to find the correct fitment. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. And we did a quick chat with Alex Lowe's there from, we recorded it at the British Round at Donington Park. Obviously a much different weekend for him this weekend in Most, but uh, looking forward to the Suzuka eight hours as well. And that's going to be a big test for him and, and for Kawasaki. But Gordo also, we've got Honda out there as well. Iker Lekabona is going to be in action. He's, it's going to be an interesting one to for the, a guy that's come up through MotoGP to then do half a season of the World Superbike and then go to Suzuka. 
which is the most unique and wonderful and mad and punishing race you can ever imagine being in. Um, there's so much build-up and interest. To it. It's quite difficult to, in European terms, think of anything else um, that, that revolves around one single race. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you get some European riders doing it, you know, as many as other years. Um, but it's a highlight of the calendar. I think it's just a shame for some of the guys that it's one week after most. You know, and for the world, it would be great to stick right in the middle um, of the, you know, the, the, the World Superbike summer break. But yeah, Lacona's, it would be a great experience for them, whatever happens. I think it's it's a shame that it's also on the same weekend as the British Grand Prix. And yeah. I think from a European perspective, and Charlie, I'm sure you back me up on this, the only race that's probably as intense from a European perspective is probably whenever you go out in a rental car race because that's just terrifying for everyone that's around you that's pretty harsh man but but possibly fair i, I have no comment to <laughs> offer <laughs> i i blame chris tindall for leading the two of us astray anytime that we've had one of one of our uh rental car battles but um just when you look at um what else we have to cover from most obviously lekwona goes out to Suzuka this weekend. That's really important for him. He's got his future secured with Honda already. He's clearly very important for them going forward in the Superbike class. But in Most, we had lots of rumours about the rider market as well, Charlie, and there's a lot of uncertainty there. And uh, I'm, you know, there's been big talk all the way through the weekend, what's going to happen with certain seats. But what's the, the latest that you've been hearing? I mean, I, I thought Honda had quite a quiet weekend at Most, really, didn't they? Um... Both of them, both. I mean, Vieja was seemed sort of fairly off, fairly average, um, and Lecrone as well. I guess they have to contend with learning the circuit, which I think is probably quite a, not an easy one to learn. Um, but we know that Lecrone is obviously signed already. I think for HRC, but Vieja hasn't, and there's a fair bit of speculation about Vieja. I mean, for me, it makes perfect sense that he just stays where he is. I think they're pretty happy with him. I can't see why any they'd want any change there. But there are rumours that there might be a change there, and he might leave and someone else might come in. They might stick with what they've got just because they've obviously got a bit of a project. When you bring in two rookies, you can't expect miracles in the first year. So I think they're looking at turning around a product, their whole project, um, whatever's going to come for next year. Uh, so yeah, it would make sense for them to stay where they are unless they were going to bring in a new number one rider. You know, if there was an obvious, let's bring some. Okay, we're happy with the bike now. Let's bring someone in, pay them a load of money, and then that's us straight into the results. The problem I've got with that is that the bike to me is still showing five, six, seven, five, six, seven, seven, eight, nine uh, capabilities. And okay, you can take the top three as at the moment maybe an impossible goal, but look at the ground that was made up by Reading from an absolute disaster at the start of the season where everybody was genuinely thinking, you know what, with this year, whole year might be terrible. Um, and look at the progress they've made. So they're, But that's Reading, who's won multiple races in the past year, who's BSB champion and MotoGP guy. So it, it's a difficult one for Honda because where do you make an improvement unless you bring in a number one rider? But they tried that last year and they uh, two years um, with Bautista and it didn't work. So maybe, given what they're doing this for, Sticking with the two riders they have is the best option. And I think with BMW as well, it's it's quite interesting that you mentioned about riding there because that's one of the seats that's up for grabs. Obviously, Vandermark confirmed he's going to be back next year alongside riding on the factory bike. But we had the news this weekend, Eugene Laverty's going to retire from racing in World Superbikes. He's going to take on a team management or a team ownership and a, a rider coaching role that 
over the next few years is going to phase from one role into the next. And uh, that means that there's there's openings up at the Bonovo team. Obviously, they want to keep Loris Baz. And the big rumour all weekend was Garrett Gerloff to go to Bonovo. But, uh, Charlie, that looks like it, it mightn't be the case as well. Yeah, I, I think that that's not the case, actually. I, I think that he might be heading towards Puchetti. That was the last thing I heard on Sunday night from someone who very much knows what they're talking about. So I think, um, I'm not sure about Bonovo, I think Puchetti is a more likely candidate. Or, or I mean, you, you just don't know. I mean, for me, Garrett, I think, has got some probably looking at himself and wondering where he's going to go. And he might, if, especially if Gagne looks like he's going to come over and potentially take Gerloff's seat, maybe Gerloff would fancy going home and doing a bit of MA, resetting, getting his confidence back. I don't know. Well, I'd certainly agree with you that Gerloff needs a change. He's just not going anywhere in that setup. Unfortunately, because I think it's a great setup. That's that's a great place to be if you were a younger rider. But the trouble is, this is his third year. Um, he's had his fallouts. There's been the results haven't been there. He needs to go somewhere else. Either of those two rides would be a great end spot for for mm. Gerloff. And, you know, Bonovo's still a factory team. I mean, they really are. Like it's a straight line from factory to them. The rules say that for everybody, but in reality, that kind of literally part of the development program from day one is might suit him very well and it would be it would be a different it'd be a change of scenery and a change of bike but it's also what he knows to be working close with the factory and getting things straight from them but um we've seen what a, a good Pichetti Kawasaki can do so if that's if that's where he ends up um that's also the lead rider he, he it's all revolves around him so but does he does he want to be in a an, a, a properly different setup from one that's directly factory. Just just to put um Gerloff and Vieje in the same sort of bracket at the moment as to you know it, it seems hard that Vieje might want to leave, but you know, we, we constantly talk about happy rider being a fast rider and I wonder whether Vieje's not overly happy where he is in HRC. I mean that's not um you know, you go into Yamaha where everybody's laughing and joking, having a great time, really professional, looks fantastic, looks like you're going to enjoy every minute in that team, in the, certainly in the in the Pata squad, in the work squad. And I wonder whether Vieje, that maybe that's one of the reasons why Vieje might want to go, is that he actually just wants to get get out of there. And I wonder whether Gerloff, actually that might be the change to just go into a team where he's happier. You know, like Bonovo would be a really good swap for him. Or, for that matter, Pacetti. I think for me, like... Um... I think Gerloff obviously needs to make a move. Like Gordo says, it's been miserable for him for a year. But the thing with Gerloff is we know that he's got the potential to be right at the front of the field, to potentially win races, to get great results. Now a team needs to see whether or not that's still there. And that's where a change of scenery is critical for him. He spent six years racing a Yamaha Superbike. You know, whether you look at the three years he did in Moto America, the three years he's done in Worlds. So he's got tons of experience on a Superbike. But Right now, and for the last year, since Assen and the crash with Toprak, he hasn't been able to to show his potential. So now we need to wait and see where he goes. If he goes to Kawasaki, he also leaves himself where he's potentially one of the riders in line to replace Ray when Ray retires. And we know that the KRT squad has always been you know, a really good team. You can imagine that someone like Pararriba would love to have the reclamation project of a rider with that much talent and then trying to get the best out of him. So Kawasaki makes a lot of sense. And uh, it would be similar to Top Rack, where you go in, you're not a Pachetti rider, you're a Kawasaki rider, and that opens up doors. So so we're all talking that it looks like Gerloff's definitely not going to be where he is next year. 
we're pretty solid that Nazani's not going to be there next year, aren't we? So let's well, say Nazani Gan- brings a lot of money. So do you like let's let's not uh, let's not beat around the bush. He he could be very important to the team to keep him there. Well, but I, certainly I, from a competitive standpoint, yeah, he, I mean, he doesn't warrant the seat. I, I did put it to Dossley about um, two rounds ago that um, you know what what they were thinking of doing with that GRT team and. He didn't say, oh, he didn't say, oh, Nazani brings a lot of money, so we're going to keep him. He did say that we need to think very carefully about Nazani's future. So I think, um, look, you can bring a load of money, but if you're not cutting the mustard, you know, um, Filippo Conti, who kind of owns the team, obviously, but it's run by Yamaha, it doesn't matter how much money Nazani brings. If he's going to be running around in 18th place, who wants that? Let's find someone who can bring a bit of money and actually ride a bike and get some results. So... Gagne would, would be a great fit for that. that. That would make a lot of sense for him to go there. Who would you see on that other berth? Because that's a really good, that's a top line, you know, independent ride, isn't it? If it was just up to what would be done for every possible reason, the interest of the championship, uh, rewarding Yamaha riders who've had success, etc. And forget about, if you imagine that they will not have the same two riders next year, rather than just one, then you would obviously, to me, stick Gagne on one and Mackenzie on the other one. And there's a reward for your, your riders coming up. You've got them coming into them, well, okay, are these guys going to be able to pick up? Eventually, if Top Rack goes to MotoGP, they're going to need to have somebody pretty good to be in there because Locatelli is a good rider, but I don't know if he's going to be able to make the jump to become a great rider. We'll see. He's still quite young in, in, in that side of the project. But Yamaha at the minute is like other manufacturers is a is a one trick pony for winning the championship. Um won it last year. So maybe now with Top Rack there, and if he stays another year, given the chance to Gagne and Mackenzie would be the dream ticket. It would certainly be the most interesting choice for the Anglosphere. But maybe they've got a because it's a global company, maybe they've got different ideas about that as well. Gordo, would you take Taz McKenzie over Domi Agata? Uh, ah, there's a tricky one for yeah. you. Get out of that one. <laughs> no, no, would I? For, um, can I, can yes, I, can I, I jump yes, in, Gordo? Yes, 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 I would. Carry on, Steve. I would take him because Yamaha has said GRT is the junior team. Domi's going to be, what, 32 next year? He's not a junior rider. And for however fantastic Domi's been since he jumped on a super sport bike and he's been phenomenal up until this weekend. And we're going to talk about that in, in a moment. Up until this weekend, he's been the best rider we've seen in super sports for a long time. Super sport class is really competitive now compared to what it had been. And he's a step above everyone. But he's too old for the junior team. Yamaha needs some way of putting him into some team. But it's very difficult to see how you can put him into that team. On the other hand as well, you've got a young rider like Brad Ray that's doing a great job in BSB this year. You've got Mackenzie, you've got Gagne. Now, whether or not Gagne would want to move back to World Superbikes given his experience and that he's got another year left in his contract in the US, that remains to be seen. But coming to Portimao to do a wild card later in the year, that's going to be critical for Gagne to be able to understand where he wants to be as well. The only thing that makes sense is to take those two guys if you're promoting from within and it's a young junior team. Mahias was offered that ride a few years ago after his Super Sport success, but not on the terms that either party were happy with, and therefore it didn't happen. But Agatha also didn't do himself any good on the weekend. That's not, you know, I don't think anybody was happy with him. So 
you know, he's taken to me that's one step back from his potential for being promoted inside. So if nothing else mattered, you would just take Mackenzie over Agatha because you're bringing the... Re- the other important thing that we have to understand is that we're bringing the rest of the world into World Superbike. There's been too much of a break from that with regulation changes and, you know, lack of wild cards and all sorts of things. We used to go around and everybody joined in the party. The best riders would be fighting each other to get wild cards at every round we went to, from Japan to America to UK to Australia. And we've kind of broken that bond. If you bring in a guy from Moto America and a guy from BSB, then you've rewritten a good part of World Superbikes history to take into the future. Everybody's focusing on us now. Why are we not letting those riders come in from outside instead of just us? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And actually, going back to what Steve said about Domi, um, it would make a lot of sense. I completely agree that that makes perfect sense. Actually, they don't want to. They want it to be the junior team. So, if you've got Domi, which is a problem for Yamaha because he's having a lot of successful success for them, and they need to do something with him, Christoph Gio's GMT bringing up a one rider squad would seem the perfect way for Domi to go, which keeps Yamaha happy. Yamaha can help GMT a little bit. Christoph Gio's happy. That would all. That would be if that was a puzzle. That would all slot quite nicely into place, wouldn't it? Yeah, and he's francophone as well. You know, I'm sure he can. He could get by with the mechanics in French rather than having to try to do it in English or whatever. Um, it's you know, I you know, he's shown he can he can spank everybody quite quite comprehensively in Supersport. He'll be doing it for two years, whether or not he wins the championship now, and I'm sure we'll move on to that later. But ultimately, um, he's got to go somewhere unless. You want Supersport, the new Supersport Championship, to have a high watermark and therefore the proof that it's improving and other riders are improving is by beating Agatha because anybody that beat Sofoglu in the past was obviously the, the top guy and only the best people could do it. So maybe for Supersport, even if he does stay another year, then anybody that comes along or if the Ducati starts beating him on a regular basis or uh, the Triumph or whatever then you've got a change in the dynamic. You'll have proved that things are better. Um, but yeah, that, to me, a move for him would be the best thing for him and everybody else involved. Can I ask you a question then, Charlie? GMT94, what have they done to prove to Domi that they could actually be a good, competent World Superbike team? Because in the Supersport class, they've had a lot of problems. They've had Jules Cluzel, always a front runner in the class. He's been annoyed at different things over the course of the last few years. They've had good weekends with the Bees or Andy Verdoyer or all this, but they haven't been anywhere near what Tenkate and 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 um, Agatha have been able to achieve. Maybe for Domi, if he's looking at a superbike, he might have to look at what options there are to be on a an independent Ducati or you know any other teams as well. Like what happens if Bassani leaves? Obviously, he's been talked about to be potentially a factory rider with Ducati for next season. If he leaves Motocorsa, suddenly that becomes a very attractive seat maybe for Agador and certainly a lot more attractive than a GMT ninety four seat. Yeah, I mean I spoke to Christoph Gear this weekend or I interviewed him this weekend. Um and we were talking about that exact thing. And actually the one thing that I was quite surprised about that Christoph nailed, which is what you've just said, Steve, is it's not a case of them picking a rider. They've got to attract one. And that's, and like you said, you know, it, it might not be as easy as it looks. And we all, you know, we can put the puzzle together and come up with Domi Agata makes a shoe, you know, shoe in for there. That, that everybody's happy, but it might not work like that at all. And I think that's something that we're only going to find out over the next two or three rounds, aren't we? I think in terms of uh, going back to um, 
TNT 94 and the issues they've had in Supersport, everybody's doing it on their own in Supersport. In Superbike, everything is now flowing from the the factory team. It's I think it would be a case of there would be much more influence, set up, whatever else it is that's slightly missing, and it is only slightly missing from GMT 94 Supersport thing. In Superbike, Yamaha present you with 90% of the answers and the rest of it's done in a pit box by you and your rider. So I think there could be an instantaneous improvement there. There's no uh, official Supersport Yamaha team anymore. That's then uh, it's incumbent on them to then spread the love and the knowledge and the development stuff across the other teams. It's every man for himself, isn't it? So, uh, you know, you, I think that's a, it's a subtle change and it's a, maybe an engineering change, but I would be quite confident if I was going and getting Yamahas as a customer team that you're going to get pretty much what the rest of the guys are, are, are going to have and certainly access to that knowledge. Yamaha is whether everybody's got their own system, but they've literally got an internal, uh, what's it, YRC, whatever it is, system, where they, they're trying to get the best stuff to everybody to make sure Yamaha, every Yamaha can be potentially uh, competitive. And in Superbike, I think it's a straighter line than it is in Supersport or anything else. Well, let's move on a little bit from that side of the conversation. We sort of touched on it a bit about Dommy earlier on, but this weekend, he was disqualified from the race meeting for unsportsmanlike behaviour. He had a crash that wasn't his fault at the start of race one, and he laid down the gravel trap, feigning an injury to try and get a race red flagged. He admitted afterwards and apologised for, for his actions, but the stewards, for me, did the right thing, Charlie. They said, right, we're not going to tolerate this kind of thing. He was hit with effectively a 50-point a 50 point penalty because Baldessari went out won both races we're down to 14 points in the championship standings now and a precedent has been set as well yeah I think it was um, I mean look everybody does things that they regret and which I think Domi has clearly done um, I think it was particularly I think it was badly managed I think that they said you know he could have taken the concussion thing they said look you're concussed clearly and they should have taken that wound the necks in and said Okay, that's it. Okay, that's our own. This is where we are. But they railed against it, tried to get the, the thing overturned, and in the end, I think the the, the promoter or the FIM uh, lost their rag with them a little bit and said, "Look, we've seen. You know, it's obvious. It's on the telly what you're doing. So here you go, have a ban. And now you're going to have to explain yourself. And now you're going to have to apologise. So I don't have a big problem with um, Dommy. Everybody does things that they regret afterwards. It's one of those things. He's had a big penalty. He's lost fifty points. Um, subject closed for me. I, I think the, the biggest problem um, and the thing that did really, really annoy me personally is that if it, if there was a big delay there and the bikes came back round again, every single marshal and medical person that was coming there to help a guy who is not injured and he knows he's not injured is then put in greater danger than they would have Whenever those people in orange and the doctors go out to help a rider on trackside, they are putting themselves in danger that they don't face if they're standing behind a barrier waiting on the next crash to happen. And that is out of order. In football, bike people and motorcycle racers are great at slagging off football players. They they don't get fouled and they go to ground and roll about like somebody's chopped them in half. And motorbike racers are so tough that when they're injured, they get up and walk away and want to get on and get out again. And we that action there on the weekend turned that on its head. That I don't, really don't like. And I love Dom, he's brilliant, but he's such a character, individual, everything else. And he ain't the first rider that's done this. 
by a million miles. Let's not kid ourselves on. But that was particularly blatant and it really was in an area of anybody who lost the brakes going in there the next time round or somebody at the back, that bike's coming in at 100 mile an hour. You know, it's totally unacceptable for me. I agree with Charlie now that everything's happened. We should all just forget about it. Every other rider should now have that printed in the back of their head going, don't do that again, you're going to get done. Um, but I still think Agatha can... <laughs> he still doesn't mean he's not going to come back, win every race and win the World Championship by 60 points. But it's really good to see that we're back to 14. Fantastic. Yeah, certainly not, Gordon. He had to skip around last year and still won the championship. And yeah. I'm excited now for Baldassari versus Agatha on a much more level playing field because... Balda at the start of the year really had to to work hard to understand a super sport bike. He seems to have that now. So the second half of this season is going to be really interesting. The, the weird thing for me with Agatha was that it was there was no need. I mean, the guy had a sixty four point lead. Why was he? Yeah. okay, he gets you, you know you get knocked off, you get up by the grab. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I said, yeah. and I think I couldn't have I couldn't agree with Gordo more about it's almost like he's slightly sullied the relationship between rider and marshal. And I think you also have to, it's very easy to sort of um, put the marshals away out of, out of focus. But I, I actually do go out on track quite a lot and I do stand very, I, I stand in with the marshals quite often. And until you're there standing there, you suddenly realize it's flipping dangerous. It is really dangerous. When those guys go running out into a gravel trap, they're in great jeopardy. So like you said, it was a bad thing to do. Fair enough, we can get over that. But you've got to be careful of that relationship. There, there still does have to be trust. Of, you know, marshals should never wonder, should never have to question whether the guy lying on the floor is actually hurt or not. Not in our sport, crikey. Yeah, and that's the thing. As long as everybody leaves most, nothing actually happened uh, in terms of danger or whatever. In reality, there was no particular consequence. It was the potential for consequence. Exactly what Charlie says there. Everybody should just go, mm, actually, yeah, that's a good, it's a timely reminder, you know? If you drive too fast to the road and you get pinged with a speeding ticket, it's a timely reminder, mm, okay, maybe I should go a bit less next time. You don't get banned for life for going 40 and a 30. Um, you know, it, it, everybody needs to, it's a wake up call, is what I'm trying to say, and everybody should heed it from now on, and I hope they do, and then everybody will be safer. Everybody. What? Uh, one of the people I think <clears throat> who was quite lucky in that situation, while the sort of um, you know negotiations were going on with the team and all that sort of stuff, was Onchu. I think he actually got away quite lightly because a lot of the riders I spoke to were saying Onchu is becoming a bit of a problem. Do you know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. pretty wild. He's you know he, yeah. he, he's obviously and and that what that that example that what caused the accident was pretty horrendous I think he was definitely he's too emotional for me he, he looks like he's just I don't know I don't know what you do with a rider like Onchu but he looks to me like he just needs to bring it back a little bit and it's not just actually that's not what I think but just speaking to the other riders there was a lot of complaint about him this weekend saying well he does this every round you know what I mean he's the guy who's always sideways into someone else if you're going to get bumped it's probably by Onchu so I don't know how, how they manage that, but for me, he's a rider that's, that needs to be looked into a little bit or need, needs to have an eye kept on him. Yes, and I think that's the... However uh, the riders think about it, the, certain riders do get a reputation, and it's usually deserved because they're the ones that see it all the time. Um, the on-shoe case, yes, he's, he's still a teenager. 
He's got this great pressure on him. I'm sure in his mind he's supposed to be winning three, four, five races a season now. Um, he started on the podium and he's not getting there anymore. I think it's it, it, there's a lot of element of that. Um, it's a lot of experience thing. But yes, when the other riders all start talking about one rider, look at Gerloff. You know, Gerloff was getting a reputation before the infamous acid incident. It wasn't like Locatelli's getting it now. <laughs> and and look at Locatelli three times in one mm. race. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, it's how that rea- rider reacts to that. Whatever they say in public, if he goes away and thinks, okay, right, what did I do there? When they don't do that, and it happens again and again and again, is when they get into trouble and they end up getting a reputation. And I wouldn't say Locatelli was particularly like that before this weekend, but there was definitely something amiss. I, I, even his I think, reaction. I think to Michael him. Vandermark might disagree with you. Uh, yeah. There's a few other instances yeah, last year as well. Yeah, I suppose. But uh, yeah, no, you're probably no, you're probably right. You're probably right. But um, yeah, there was definitely something not quite right at most. But I think I think it's one of those situations that you get whenever it's so competitive now as well, and there's so little to choose between all the bikes and riders out there, and that's what's made the first half of the World Superbike season so compelling. And uh, it's just a shame that we've got a five week break until the next one. But uh, Gordo, it's been a pleasure having you on the pod as usual. And uh, Charlie, I can see you're already getting ready to pack your bag for Silverstone. So enjoy the British Grand Prix. Thanks, boys. Cheers, man. Take care. A big thank you to everyone for listening to today's show and for everyone that supports us, particularly on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast. Now that we're back into the Grand Prix season, we'll be back having our nightly roundup show, the Paddock Notes show from each Grand Prix weekend. So check that out, patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast. And uh, a big thank you to Renthal Street and Fly Racing for supporting the podcast. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Hold on, just one second. I'm just printing something. And I'll be ready. I'll it'll make a noise. You're not printing off notes for this, are you, Charlie? No, You're I'm not that well prepared. I'm just doing the rider performances for Super Sport. Know what we are. Oh look at the, look at look at this guy Gordo making us look bad. I'm a fucking pro, man. I don't fuck about. Fucking hell! It's only me that isn't doing this kind of shit. Fresh off the printer. Will we tell him, or will we just you know let him stew for a while? Oh.